Ecclesiastes uh, 3, and a time for everything. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek, and a time to lose. A time to keep, and a time to cast away. A time to tear, and a time to sow. A time to keep silence, and a time to speak. A time to love, and a time to hate. A time for war, and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God has done endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear him, fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness, said in my heart. God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of the man that God is testing them and that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For whatever happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so does the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast. For all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust. And to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. 
for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Praise be to God. In the first, oh, there we go. In the first service, uh, the microphone wasn't working at all, and so I just preached without it. So if I sound like I'm shouting, I am. But um, it's because it's not because I'm angry. It's just because in the first service I was used to that. Um, before we dive into that passage, I just want to point out real quick, this Connect card is back in the uh, seat pockets, so uh, we'd love for you to fill this out. Let us know that you're here. Um, what, if you're updating your contact information or if you're a guest and you want to share that, we're not going to spam you. Uh, we're not going to call you at 10 o'clock at night. Uh, we're not going to drop by your house unexpectedly. It's just a way of knowing that you are here. And on the back of that is my favorite part is the prayer requests. We'd love to pray for you and for the requests that you have specifically every week. So if you would fill that out if with any kind of prayer request or you want to celebrate something God is doing in your life, you can share that there and just drop it in the black offering box on your way out and we will pray with you and for you, uh, for you this week. Um, okay, so... We're in Ecclesiastes, we're continuing our series, and we're in chapter 3. And I will say up front, chapter 3 is loaded. Uh, There is so much packed into that, there's no way that I can unpack everything in chapter 3 in one sermon. We could do a whole series just on that chapter. And I don't know about you, but when Katie was starting to read that, did anybody else think, turn, turn, turn? Anybody? Yeah, who's over 35? Okay, (laughs) good. Yeah, it's a, great, it's a great passage. It's a great uh, piece of wisdom literature from, uh, from ancient times that is so relevant to today. Um, I have four boys, and they are just getting to the age where they're really starting to get into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And they want to start watching the movies, you know, the Avengers and uh, Thor and all these movies. And, and I haven't seen most of them myself. So I've been reading plugged in online reviews and trying to preview uh, bits and pieces of them to see if they're uh, appropriate for my kids yet. And uh, I was previewing a few minutes of Doctor Strange. It is a strange movie, appropriately titled. The whole idea behind the movie is time. Doctor Strange has the ability to control and manipulate time and there's an inevitability to time there's a loop to time there's a pattern there's and he can control and manipulate and change time it's a very trippy uh very trippy movie but um as as i was previewing that then i started reading ecclesiastes 3 and i thought oh this is great timing uh because we're talking all about time so here are some quotes that i found about time on the internet william carlos williams says time is a storm in which we are all lost you ever feel that way? Harvey McKay said, time is free, but it's priceless. You can't own it, but you can use it. You can't keep it, but you can spend it. Once you've lost it, you can never get it back. That's wise. Winifred Holtby said, time is the great enemy. And William Penn said, time is what we want most, but what we use worst. You ever relate to that? 
if I could just have a, a little bit more time, but then I don't use my time appropriately. What about you? When you think about time, what comes to your mind? How do you use your time? Is it something that you use best or something that you use worst? How do you spend the time that you have been given? Now, as we think about time, we all know that our time is limited. It will eventually come to an end. In fact, the certainty of death is one of the most prevalent themes that Solomon wrestles with throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And in this passage today, what he's asking is, how can we live a meaningful life knowing that our life will come to an end? Man's no different than the animals, right? So they die, we die. How can we have anything to accomplish in life if I know that in 40 or 50 or 60 or 80 or 100 years, my life will be over and 50 to 100 years after that, nobody will even have remembered that I existed and everything that I built will have crumbled into dust. So how can anything have meaning in that, uh, if that's the truth? Essentially, we might rephrase the question like this. This is what Solomon is wrestling with. This is our question for Ecclesiastes 3. How can we live the good life when we are nothing but a leaf floating along on the river of time? If time is a river, I am a leaf. You are a leaf floating along that river. How does the leaf accomplish anything? It has no power over the river. So how can we live a good life when all we are are leaves floating along on the river of time. That's what we're going to look into in Ecclesiastes 3. Solomon wrestles with this question and then gives us some good advice to how to live the good life. Um, There's a whole lot more in this chapter than what I can cover, but this is what we'll do. We're We're gonna pull out three lessons that we get from Ecclesiastes 3 for how to live a good life in spite of the reality of time. The first lesson that we learn is this. Everything has a time, accept it. There's a season for everything. Acknowledge it. That's what Solomon says in in the first verse. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And then he goes through this little poem and he, he, you know, there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what's been planted. There's a time to build and a time to tear down. He, He goes through all these different things. And the point that he's making is everything has a season. Everything has a time. Accept it. We can't change it. We can't avoid it. We can't speed it up. We can't slow it down. The good life is not found in trying to change the season that God has ordained for us. All that does is lead to frustration. Because in reality, there are good times and there are hard times. There are seasons of victory and there are seasons of loss. There are times of plenty and there are times of barely scraping by. And we can't change the time that God has ordained for us to walk. But we oftentimes expend so much energy and so much effort and so much stress trying to avoid difficult times, trying to change them. And and when we find ourselves in a season of suffering or struggle, the first question most of us ask most of the time is, what is the fastest way out? How can I get out of this as soon as possible? But the reality is this, and it's hard to hear, but it's true. There's no fastest way out. Everything has a time. Everything has a season, and we can't change it. No matter how hard I try, no matter how badly I want it, I can't make 12 o'clock 
come any faster. 12 o'clock will come when 12 o'clock is. Now, I can change my watch, and I can pretend that it's not 1027, but that doesn't change the reality of the season and the time that we're in. The good life is not found in trying to avoid or change or manipulate the time that God has ordained for us. The good life is found in acknowledging and accepting it. If we can't change it, what do we do? We wait on the Lord in this season. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 says, But they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In the season, in the time, whatever time it is, whatever season God has ordained for you to walk, you can't change it. You can't fight against it. So what do you do? You wait on the Lord in the midst of this time. We've all been through good times and hard times. The last uh, eight months or so of my life have been a hard season. For me personally, for our family, we've experienced some personal loss. We've experienced some uh, unexpected health issues that we, we weren't, uh, weren't expecting. And it's been a difficult season. And I've prayed and I've asked God for direction and clarity and, and his vision and his path for us in this season. And he hasn't answered. He's given me wisdom and direction and, and, and vision for the church, but he hasn't given me his vision for, for me personally or for our family. And I've been praying and I've been asking and, and I don't hear his response. And, and as much as I would like to get out of this season and get into the next one, I can't change it. This is the time that God has ordained for us to walk. And so we will wait on the Lord and we will be faithful to him in the midst of this season. I've been in this kind of desert before. I've gone through seasons where uh, it was so long between hearing God speak and, and feeling his presence that I began to doubt my own salvation and even wondered if my faith was real. But I've chosen in the midst of that season to continue trusting him. And I know when you get to the other side of the desert, the oasis is sweeter than it was before. The presence of God is stronger and more intimate. Your faith is strengthened. So in the middle of this season, we wait and we pray. Everything has a time. We accept it. The wise person doesn't try to fight against it. The wise person says, what time is it? What is the time that God has ordained for me right now? I'm not going to avoid it. I'm not going to pretend it's a different season than it is. I'm not going to paint a, a nice little plastic smile on my face and pretend like everything's okay when I'm struggling. And I'm not going to make myself out a victim and pretend like things are really bad because I feel guilty for having a, a, a joyous time. No, what time is it? Don't pretend it's a different season. Everything has its season. Deal with whatever needs to be dealt with in the season that God has ordained for you to walk. Don't try to self-medicate through the hard times with pornography or alcohol or prescription painkillers or binge-watching Netflix or overeating your favorite foods. Don't try to distract yourself away from the, 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 the thoughts or the pain or the emotions in a certain season with, uh, with overwork or overscheduling your social life or going so uh, overboard with your hobbies that you don't have any free time or every spare moment you have scrolling on your phone so that you're distracted. You don't have to deal with the way you feel or your thoughts in this season. No, that's not where the good life is found. Solomon says the beginning of the good life in relation to time is acknowledging 
what time it is and living in harmony with it. That's the next point. See, God has a purpose for every time. So we live in harmony with it. God has a a work ordained for every season of life and the good life is found when we join him in his work and what he's doing. See verse 11, it says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Who is the he in this verse? God. God has made everything beautiful in its time. I have not made everything beautiful in its time. God has. It's God's plan. It's God's purpose. It's God's will that matters. See, in verse 14, Solomon writes, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. God's work prevails forever. It endures throughout all generations. And when it says that people will fear before him, it doesn't mean that we will stand terrified of God. What it means is that we will stand in awe of the eternal one whose work endures throughout all generations. Everything I build eventually comes to an end, but whatever God does endures forever. Wow. Look at the greatness and faithfulness and goodness of our God. If you go back up to verse 11, he says that he's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. What does that mean? What it means is God has put a longing and a desire for eternity in our hearts, but he hasn't given us the capacity to understand it and grasp it for ourselves. Now, why would God do that? Why would God give us a longing for eternity, but not the capacity to understand it for ourselves? Because the good life is found in a loving relationship with the eternal God. If I have a longing for eternity, but I don't have the capacity to understand it, I can know the God who is eternal. Right? I have a, a, a longing for eternity, but I don't have the capacity to understand the beginning from the end. Yet I can have a relationship with the one who is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. I, I have a longing for eternity, but I can't understand eternity past and eternity future but I can have a relationship with the one who was and who is and who is to come. I don't have the capacity to deal with the evil and the wickedness in the world around us, nor even the evil and the wickedness in my own heart, but I can come to the one who, although he was without sin, became sin for us so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. See, Jesus dealt with our sin because we didn't have the capacity for it. This is why God put eternity into the heart of people, but not the capacity to understand it for ourselves so that our hearts would be restless until they find their rest in him, as Augustine said. God has a purpose and a plan in every season, and he is working in every season to draw our hearts to his. The good life is found when we live in harmony with God's purpose. Not when we try to create our own purpose or do our own thing, but when we submit and surrender and live in harmony with God's purpose. In music, there is melody and there's harmony. The melody is the lead part and the harmony is the supporting part. The harmony only works when it follows 
the lead of the melody. When the harmony goes off and tries to do its own thing and, and tries to write its own counter melody, it doesn't create a beautiful piece of music. It creates dissonance and tension and clash. In life, God is the melody and we are the harmony. It's not our place to write the melody of life. God is the melody of life. Our place is to be the harmony to his melody. Dallas Jenkins, who is the director of The Chosen, which, by the way, if you haven't seen that series, I highly recommend it. It's really, really good. He said, it's not our job to feed the 5,000. It's our job to provide the loaves and the fish. Oh, gee. It's a whole lot more exciting to feed the 5,000. Nobody's going to tweet about me for bringing a basket of bread and fish. I'm not going to make any headlines because I brought the loaves and the fish. Nobody's going to think I'm really cool because I brought the loaves and the fish. Man, I want to feed the 5,000. And if it would have been me, I would have fed 10,000. Right? But it's not me. I'm not the melody. I'm the harmony. And the good life is found when we're the harmony to God's melody. God has a purpose for every time. We should live in harmony with his purpose. But that requires us to ask ourselves the question, do I trust that God knows what's best better than I do? Do I actually believe that God knows what's best for me and for human flourishing better than I do? Because I look around my life and I see things that I don't like and I think, well, gee, it might be better if, if my life were like this. Maybe I know what's better for myself than, what, than God does. I mean, Ecclesiastes was written like 3,000 years ago. In the last 3,000 years, haven't we made so much progress and advancement? We've had human psychology and, and anthropology and, and we've learned with philosophy and science and all these things. We have advanced so far beyond these simpletons that wrote the pages of scripture. Like surely, surely, even though the Bible says, well, this is old, this is whatever, it's outdated, it's old, it, you know, we're more progressive than that. We've moved beyond that, right? Right? God doesn't actually know what's best for our world anymore. We do. So whatever sounds good to me, that's what I'm going to do, right? No, no. That's when we're trying to be our own melody. Our part is to be the harmony to God's melody. But that requires that we trust God. We trust that he knows what's best better than we do. By the way, God's the one who invented life and who invented people. So the one who invented it knows how it works better than anyone else. Do we trust that? Do we believe that? Are we willing to follow his lead even through a difficult season? Last point from Ecclesiastes 3. Our time here is limited. So let's make the most of it. Our days are numbered. So seize the day. That's what Solomon's talking about at the end of chapter 3. Kind of gets into this weird analogy comparing people with animals. Look at verse 19. What happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beasts for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust and to dust all return. What he's saying is our time is limited. Our days will come to an end. There will be a time when we draw our last breath on earth. So... Seize the day. Carpe diem. Make the most of every opportunity. Life is short. Days are numbered. Time is limited. Seize the day. Really and truly and fully live. But not for yourself. Look at verse 12. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good 
as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. See, God's version of carpe diem or seize the day, God's version is don't seize the day for self-fulfillment. Seize the day for the glory of God and the common good. Seize the day to be filled with the joy of the Spirit and to help and bless and love other people. The Christian message is not a call to abstain from living life. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. No, 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 no. Don't have any fun. Put on a scratchy robe, sit in the basement, and take your Bible every so often and hit yourself on the head. And every time you have a thought that, oh, I'd like to get out of this basement. That's not the Christian life. That's not what Jesus invited us to. No, Jesus invited us to live to fully and truly and abundantly live every single moment to savor every breath, every day, every minute, to fully taste all of life, including the hot dogs that we're going to have in about a half an hour. Jesus invited us to live. The Christian life is not a life of abstaining from life. The Christian life is live fully, live now for the glory of God and the common good. Psalm 118 verse 24 says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Uh, Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew 6, 34, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Don't get all out of shape about the next season. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. Missionary Jim Elliott said, wherever you are, be all there. Don't spend so much time trying to get out of this stage of life and into the next one. No, wherever God has planted you, wherever God has placed you, be all there there. Live every day of every moment because every day is a gift from God. Andrea Boydston said, if you woke up breathing, congratulations, you have another chance. Every day is a gift. What are you doing with your gift? We don't deserve today. We don't deserve tomorrow. We may not be here tomorrow. So what are we doing with the gift of today? Solomon's teaching And Ecclesiastes 3 is that the good life is found when we accept the reality of time, when we live in harmony with God's purpose in it, and when we make the most of it. That's Ecclesiastes 3. Like I said, there's a whole lot more in there. I would love to dig more deeply into that passage. We just don't have the time for it today. Uh, That's the time that we're in. That was a joke, by the way. Uh, I know, it was a bad one. I I would encourage you uh, every day this week to take a few moments and read through and prayerfully meditate on Ecclesiastes 3 and and see what other insights and wisdom the Spirit whispers to your heart through God's Word. And if you come up with something, send me an email. I would love to hear it. I love to hear how the Spirit speaks to other people in His Word. So I would encourage you to do that. There's a whole lot more than what I could unpack in this message. We're going to shift gears and close our service with a time of communion. Communion is an opportunity that we have to renew our faith in Christ. If you think of baptism as a birth announcement, I've just been saved, I've chosen to follow Jesus, and I'm announcing that new birth in Christ through the uh, acts of baptism. 
Think of uh, communion like a renewal of the wedding vows. Communion doesn't make you saved, but communion is an opportunity to say, yes, I am following Jesus. I am still following Jesus. Even through a difficult season, even through a desert, I am still following Christ. I still depend upon him for everything. It's just an opportunity to publicly renew that commitment to Christ. So we're going to take a few moments to prepare our hearts for communion with prayer. Prayer is not only speaking to God, prayer is also listening to God. And so I have some prayer prompts up here. As we are preparing for communion, I, we're going to spend some time listening and I want you to ask the Lord these three questions and then take some quiet time to reflect and whatever thoughts come to your mind, think about them and, and discuss them with the Lord internally. The first question is, what time is it? What is the season of life that God has ordained for me in this moment? Is it time to plant or is it time to uproot? Is it time to build or is it time to tear down? Is it time to sew another patch on that old garment or is it time to rip the garment up for rags? Is it time to let something go or is it a time to, to hold on? Is it a time to speak up or is it a time to be silent? What time is it? Think about that. Ask the Lord to bring thoughts to your mind when he reveals that to you. Then go to the next question. Where am I not living in harmony with your purpose in this time? Am I trying to plant even though it's time to uproot? Am I trying to hold on so tightly even though it's time to let go? Where is my life not aligned with you? Where am I not the harmony to your melody in this season? And allow the Holy Spirit to gently convict you and call you up to something better. He doesn't condemn us, but he will say, right there, that little thing, that's not what I have for you. I have something better. You're better than that. Let me pull you up. The last question, in light of all those things, what would you have me to do today? Maybe it's a decision, maybe it's a choice, maybe it's a surrendering to Christ, maybe it's, I don't know, a phone call that you have to make after the service. What, would you, what time is it? Where am I not in harmony with your purpose? And what would you have me to do today? Let's spend a moment of prayerful reflection. Lord, would you speak to us? We believe that you speak. We ask that you would direct our thoughts and speak through the still small voice of your spirit into our hearts around these three questions as we listen.
The bread of communion symbolizes the body of Christ that was broken on the cross for us. On the night before that happened, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying. And he said, Father, let this cup be taken from me. If there's any other way to rescue your children than than me dying on the cross, let's do that other way. But then he said, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus chose to live in harmony with God's purpose for that season of his life, and he endured the most excruciating and painful thing possible so that we could be saved. So when we eat this bread, let's eat it praying the same prayer Jesus prayed. Not my will, but yours be done. I will be the harmony to your melody, Lord. The juice is a symbol of the blood that Jesus poured out on the cross for us. And in the Bible, blood is always a symbol of life. The blood of Christ is the life of Christ. And in drinking this juice, what we are saying is, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I don't want my life to be lived. I want Jesus' life to be lived in me. That's what we're saying when we drink this juice. If that's true, then let's drink it together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you gave your life out of your great love for us. You poured out your blood in our place for our sin so that we could be reunited into a love relationship with the eternal Father and therein find the meaning of life itself. We love you, Lord Jesus. I pray that your blessing would be given to us that your spirit would speak and guide us as we go out this day and this week. Lord, I also want to to pause a moment and say thank you that you have ordained for all of us to be born into a, a time and a place where we can gather freely, where we can come together as your children, as your family to worship you without fear of being arrested or persecuted, where we can choose to follow Jesus and we don't have to keep it a secret. We can talk about your goodness to other people and not be hated for it. Lord, I'm thankful that all of us live in a nation that provides that freedom to us. And I want to say thank you for the men and women who have sacrificed so much to provide that freedom for us. May your blessing be poured out upon them and their families, today especially. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have a couple of minutes before we conclude the service. Uh, We do have the picnic here. Um, And so whenever you leave, you can just head on outside, out back. We'll be eating in in just a little bit. But uh, I told a joke earlier, nobody laughed. So I'm going to tell another one. This is a good pastor slash dad joke or a pastor dad joke. So uh, have you heard the joke about the pastor who wanted to play golf really bad? And the golf course was always really crowded, except on Sundays. So one Sunday, he, uh, one Saturday night, he called uh, the chairman of his elders and he was like, <coughs> I'm really sick. I can't preach tomorrow. I'm sorry. 
And so they said, oh, that's okay. Stay home, rest up, you know. So then he gets up on Sunday morning, goes out to the golf course. He's got the whole golf course to himself. And Jesus and the apostle Peter are standing up in heaven and they're watching the pastor. And he gets to the first hole and he hits, boom, hole in one. And Peter's like, Jesus, what are you doing? You know, and he gets to the second hole, hits it. Jesus kind of reaches down, guides the ball, hole in one. Peter's like, Jesus, what's going on? Third hole, hole in one. Fourth hole, hole in one. Then Peter says, okay, Jesus, look, this guy lied to his elders. He called in sick so that he couldn't, we wouldn't have to preach on Sunday morning so he could play golf. And you're giving him the best game of anybody's, uh, anybody could ever imagine. Why? And Jesus said, well, who's he going to tell? <laughs> yes, that's a, all right. On that note, a time for laughing. Let's go have uh, lunch together.